Well, good morning, Chapel Hill. Welcome to worship today. I'm particularly pleased to see you here. This is the way you start your uh, holiday Sunday, so thank you for making worship a priority. You heard Pastor Julie speaking about our commitment to beyond these walls, our commitment to love and serve our neighbors. I do hope you'll pick up a brochure. It will, I think, be exciting and inspiring to you. We have committed for, uh, in perpetuity $600,000 every year to give away to those beyond our walls to, our, to serve our neighbors and our community and our region. Last Thursday, I had an opportunity to visit one of those uh, those partners that we have invested in. I represented us at the grand opening of the brand new fish food bank. It is a spectacular facility worthy of this venerated ministry that has been so loved and, and trusted for all of these many decades. While I was there, they were able to announce uh, that they had crossed their fundraising goal of $8 million. So congratulations to our own elder. Our own uh, Spencer Hutchins was the co-chair of that capital campaign. It was a tremendous success. I was told that aside from foundations and a state grant, that what you donated Chapel Hill, the quarter of a million dollars that you gave to Fish, was one of the five largest gifts of over 550 gifts that they received. So I say thank you, Chapel Hill. That's all you loving and serving your neighbors really well. I'm proud of you. Well done for your generosity. And happy 4th of July. With Pastor Ellis and Rachel and their family on the way back home to England for sabbatical, it will free us up to be a little more boisterous in celebrating our independence from England. Don't you think? Woohoo! <clears throat> Although I've got to say that right now I like Queen Elizabeth a lot more than I like our current set of politicians. <laughs> Still, independence is at the heart of who we are as a nation. There's a, a lot, plenty, that's wrong with us in the United States, but... With all of our faults and with all of our sins, we are still a great and generous country. And our passion for liberty is at the heart of what makes us great. So happy Independence Day, all you Americans out there. But we are also members of another group, aren't we? And however loyal we are to America, we owe a higher allegiance to this organization. And what might that be? Well, the Church of Jesus Christ, of course. The church body that is represented here and the billions of people around the world who own the Lordship of Christ for themselves. Our membership in the church is eternal. As much as we might value being citizens of the United States, that citizenship is going to end the day that we breathe our last but our citizenship in the, in the church, God's eternal covenant people, is only beginning and will last forever. So I want you to do something right now. I want you to look around you at those who are gathered with you. Go ahead, I mean it. Don't look at me. Look around you. This, this motley crew, keep looking. This is your family. I want you to spot the goofiest person in the room. Go ahead and point to them, please. Go ahead and point them out. Here's the deal. You might never hang out with that person in any other setting. 
But because of Jesus, because we've been adopted as God's sons and daughters, every Sunday morning is a family reunion here and around the world in His church. And as much as we celebrate our independence as a nation, independence is not a value we celebrate within our church family. Our nation, yes. Our church, no. We are not independent of each other. Jesus said that we are branches of the same vine. Paul said that we are the body parts of the same body. Every image of in the church is an image of connection and interdependence. And the American heresy, and by the way, there are plenty of American heresies, but the American heresy is the great lie that my spiritual relationship is between me and Jesus alone. Jesus never taught that. Paul never taught that. And those who live that way, independent of, superior to, oblivious to their connection and their obligation to their church family, are in defiance of God's plan. We were created to be together, not independent at all. God once said, it is not good that man should be alone. And he has never changed his mind on that topic. So what the Bible teaches us is that we need each other. We need to be together. It is God's intent. And it's one of the many reasons that COVID has been so pernicious. Because it made us scared to be together. And it convinced us that many of us in the church, that church is about content and entertainment. The songs we listen to, the sermons we listen to, that's church. Which means as long as we have an internet connection, we can do church. And don't misunderstand me. I am so glad we jumped into the world of virtual church. I spoke just this last week with a woman who suffered a severe injury last year. And it took months to recover. And she was so grateful to be able to worship with her church family online. Many others are in that same boat. Many of you have been in that same boat at times. And I am glad that we have been remaining connected to each other. But as I said before, there are hundreds of our sheep who have not returned to the sheep pen. And as your earthly shepherd, this grieves me. It will always grieve me. I will not stop grieving this. And if that is you, you are living an independent Christian life. You are disconnected from your brothers and sisters in your church family. Satisfied to worship via TV. But we were not created for that. Jesus never intended that. And one of the reasons I am sure that this is true is the one another's. The one another's. The New Testament is full of one another's. Admonitions. Encouragements commandments on how we are to treat one another, how we are to treat our brothers and sisters in our Christian family. The New Testament has dozens and dozens of instructions on how we are to behave toward one another. And we cannot obey these commandments. We cannot treat each other in this way if we aren't with each other. I want to give you just a sample. Here are a few of the one another's. Buckle up. Love one another, be devoted to one another, accept one another, bear with one another, teach one another, honor one another, submit to one another, live in harmony with one another, build up one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, stir up one another, admonish one another, care for one another, comfort one another, serve one another, pray for one another, show hospitality to one another, and greet one another with a holy kiss. 
And actually, that is just a sample. There are 59 of these in the New Testament. We just spent nine weeks talking about our DNA, how Chapel Hill is distinctive from other churches. Well, for the rest of the summer, we're going to talk about how Chapel Hill ought to be exactly like every other Christian church. Wherever you go, Christians ought to treat one another in these ways. And we collated these 59 one another's into 10 categories. And so those 10 categories are going to be our summer focus. Not our independence, but our interdependence upon one another. And for the first one, I am choosing what may be the hardest one another, but potentially the most transformational of all. Are you ready? Here it is. Forgive one another. Say that with me. There are at least five times in the New Testament when that command is offered in some form. Forgive one another. And I'm choosing a representative text from Colossians chapter 3, and I would love for us to all read it together. It's in the NIV version. Let's read this together. Here we go. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave. This is the word of the Lord. The other day I was talking to a woman. She is going through a horrible, stressful time with another family member. Betrayal and lying and misuse of money and bullying and abuse. And the whole experience has traumatized her. It has made her physically ill and depressed and sleepless. Her blood pressure is through the roof. And as she spoke of this to me, she began to weep. And she finally laid her head on the table and said of another family member, I hate her. It is easy to speak of forgiveness in the abstract, isn't it? Most people would affirm that forgiveness seems like a really virtuous thing until you are the one aggrieved. You are the one who has been betrayed or slandered or humiliated or ripped off or worse, abused. And then forgiveness doesn't sound quite so attractive. In fact, in that moment, a little vengeance seems like it would hit the spot. And it's bad enough when the betrayal comes from an outsider, from an enemy. And by the way, Jesus had something to say about that too. We're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So we don't get off the hook there, but that's another sermon for another time. Right now, what I'm talking about are those within our Christian family, those who claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ, when they turn on you, when they hurt you, when they offend you, when they slander you, it is an even more bitter assault, isn't it? And I know. I've experienced it. I have been sued by a Christian. I have been screwed by a Christian. Doug Burley our good friend calls it being getting brothered. Someone comes to you as a fellow Christian and they say, brother, and then proceed to fleece you. There are a few things more heartbreaking than getting brothered or getting sistered, being harmed or conned by fellow Christians. And I'll bet every person listening to me has a story of getting brothered or getting sistered, or worse, a self-proclaimed Christian has done dirt to you, has besmirched 
your reputation has cheated you or even more seriously has abused you in some horrible way. The last thing you want to do is forgive that person. They don't deserve it. They'll never change. They have destroyed or damaged your life so grievously you can't conceive of forgiving them. And yet, and yet, and yet, you must, and I must, we must forgive one another. As Paul wrote, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And of course, Paul taught this because Jesus taught it and modeled it. And so I want to turn this morning to the centerpiece of Jesus' teaching on forgiveness. Remember this, Matthew 18. If you ever want to think about what Jesus had to say about forgiveness, Matthew 18 is the place to go. And I want to read for you one of his most memorable and disturbing parables. Matthew 18, verse 23 and following. Jesus said, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a, a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. 10,000 talents were the equivalent of $6 billion. At least it was $6 billion when I wrote these words on Wednesday. With inflation, it might be closer to $7 billion this morning. Who knows? It was a debt so massive that it could never be repaid. So hoping to recoup at least some of the losses, the king orders the servant and his family sold into slavery. But the man's tearful pleading is so heartfelt that the king is moved and decides in an unbelievable act of mercy to remit the entire debt, all $6 billion dollars. And set him free. It is an astounding grace. 
But no sooner had the servant cleared the palace doors than he spots a guy who owes him $12,000. Not nothing, but it ain't six billion. And this is what he did. He grabbed him. We are told he choked him. And he said, you pay me what you owe me. The man fell to his knees. And he pleaded with exactly the same words that the man had just used before the king. Have patience on me and I will pay the debt. But the man would have nothing to do it. And so he picked him up and he took him to his jailer. <laughs> When the other servants saw this, they reported the king to the king, who was furious with this man and summoned him into his presence. And he said, you wicked servant. Not what you want to hear from the king, is it? I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And so he throws him in prison until he can pay the debt. And of course, that means he's going to spend the rest of his miserable life in prison because how are you going to pay a $6 billion debt from prison? And then comes Jesus' punchline. Brace yourself. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And to that, all of us should say, wowza. Because right here is the bottom line for why we forgive one another. Because whatever grievous thing your brother or sister has done to us, it is nothing compared to the offenses that we have perpetrated against God. A brother may owe me $12,000. I owe God $6 billion. And he heard my cry for mercy and forgave me. How can I do any less? That's what Paul is saying to the Colossians. Forgive one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And what is the image of the Lord's forgiveness of us? It is an image of Jesus hanging from the cross, looking out over the crowd that brutalized, mocked, and are killing him, and uttering with almost his last gap this incredible utterance. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. We forgive others first because God forgave us. In Jesus we have the example. In, and through Jesus only can we find the power to obey this hard command. It is the Spirit of Christ, the forgiving Christ, who empowers us to forgive others. Because Christ forgave us, there, that is reason enough for us to forgive. We who are beggars before the King, how can we do any less? C.S. Lewis put it this way, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So we forgive because God forgave us. That's the number one and most important reason. But there's a second. We forgive because it heals us. Because it heals us. Our CR director, our Celebrate Recovery director, Shannon Rickard tells me that numerous non-spiritual, non-Christian scientific studies have proven that those who forgive have far better physical and mental health 
and far greater longevity than those who don't. It's just a scientific fact. If you don't forget, if you don't forgive, you're going to get sick and you're going to die sooner than you would otherwise. We sometimes cling to unforgiveness because we say they don't deserve it. And of course they don't deserve it. But it is entirely beside the point. The longer you cling to unforgiveness, the longer you hold on to that offense, the longer you remain sick. You remain imprisoned. It is not your offender who suffers because of your unforgiveness. He couldn't care less about you. He's already proven that. It's you who suffer because of your unforgiveness. As the saying goes, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. We forgive because forgiveness is the way we break the chains that others have on us. And that's the heart of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now theologians argue back and forth about what that might mean. But surely at the least it means this. We will never experience the fullness of God's forgiveness toward us as long as we cling to our bitterness toward others. And by the way, you can't get away with the old, well, I'll forgive, but I'm never going to forget. Because what you seem to be saying by that is you're going to choose to dwell on that offensive. Deciding not to forgive may be, in fact, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness wants us to hang on to the offense. It wants us to chew the bone like a dog. True forgiveness ultimately leads you to a place where memories begin to fade, where obsessions begin to slip away. Only when your mind is free can you be truly free. George MacDonald put it this way, forgiveness is the giving and so the receiving of life. And I know what you're thinking, but you don't know what he did to me. You don't know what he did to my child. And you're right, I don't. But I'll bet I can guess. And I would still say, because Paul said, because Jesus said, you must forgive for your own sake. But understand this, forgiveness does not necessarily mean trusting again. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean re-engaging again. There are some relationships that are so toxic, so dangerous, they must be forever avoided. But forgiveness in the power of Christ means that the Holy Spirit can cut those rusty, chafing chains of bitterness off of you and set you free. Forgiveness is one of the most powerful steps you can take toward your own spiritual liberty. It may be good for the recipient of your forgiveness. It will always be good for the giver. You know what I hate about preaching to you? Preaching to me first. I was pondering this week on this passage, and I was pondering about those toward whom I might harbor unforgiveness, and someone came to mind. He harmed me some time back, and I would have said I have forgiven him, but if that's the case, why... Every time I drive by his house, do I make snarky remarks about him? 
And so I realized I am still harboring unforgiveness toward him. And so, knowing I would be standing before you this day asking you to do a hard thing, I reached out to him and asked him to coffee. And so we're going to meet next week, and I'm going to confess my sin of unforgiveness, and then we'll see where things go from there. Here's the bad news about this good news. The Holy Spirit is probably stirring someone in your heart right now, too. Because I'm not the only one who has people that I'm holding grudges against. And the, the Christian you need to text right now is probably stirred up in your mind. The person you need to call when you walk out those doors. And so I'm telling you, do not let those doors of amnesia wipe this memory from your mind. You must act on it. It is the Spirit that is stirring you. Because forgiveness has a power no other decision possesses. One writer said this, we win by tenderness, we conquer by forgiveness. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let us pray. And so, Holy Spirit, we kneel before the authority of your hard word this day. We pay attention to the stirrings in our hearts, to those that are brought to mind, those who have aggrieved us, those brothers and sisters who have wronged us, harmed us, maybe even abused us, who maybe aren't even worthy of the name Christian, and yet that is what they claim. And so in obedience to you and according to the model that you demonstrated on that cross, I pray, Lord, that you empower us by your Spirit to forgive, maybe to reach out, maybe to confess our own sin of unforgiveness, maybe to expect nothing in return. Probably best not to. Otherwise, we might be disappointed again. But may we, in our act of obedience and forgiveness, be set free from the chains that bind us. And we pray this in the amazing name of Jesus, the expression of God's forgiveness to us. You heard your children children now you are the same God you are the same God thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church if you'd like to visit us in person we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue Gig Harbor Washington our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 1030 we hope to see you there to learn more about our upcoming events visit us online at chapelhillpc.org